Welcome to Vino Week, episode 58. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, party people. Uh, this is Al. Bill, um, I know we can't party at 9 in the morning, but um, because, well, we've both been pretty busy, I think, with uh, just managing the um, being part of the pandemic, I think. Really hard yeah. to not be uh, affected by that. That's for sure. Pretty much impossible, I'd say. Hey, did you see the, uh, I just sent you something about the social distancing circles in Dolores Park. Did you get a look at that? No. No. It's really, really interesting. It's like they've got these huge circles. They drew, yeah. (laughs) They're all drawn in the grass. So, you know, the picture is they've got the park and then it looks out towards, uh, uh, What's the tallest building there? I'm having a mind uh, uh, towards the Salesforce Tower. Yeah, looking towards the or Salesforce the pyramid. Tower. Yeah, yeah, and, looking uh, towards downtown. Yeah, it's it's just it's like really that's that's where we're at. That's like, where that's, we're at. That is where we're at, man. Yeah, that's where we're at, and it's just the uh, the lack of reliable information continues to be appalling to me. Yeah, it's just, uh, that's, I mean, that's the biggest, and it's not just, uh, it's just not here in the United States. It's everywhere. Everywhere. It's the yeah. message. I call it the messages of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Because they, it's, they are, I mean, you know, one day it's like, oh, you can breathe on somebody and they will die. I mean, that's kind of the word message. <laughs> Next day is if you lick somebody, I heard some cockamamie thing like, uh, anyway, Oh, it doesn't last on surfaces. Yes, it lasts up to three weeks on surfaces. I mean, it's yeah. just, I really quit listening to the news during this whole thing. I just shut I it quit. off. Me too. And I think the thing that the overriding factor for me is that nobody really knows. No. So, so I mean, probably, you know, what we have adopted, uh, my wife and I, what we have adopted is we just, we're just kind of like less social. I mean, I think yeah. that's probably the best way to be. And I think we're probably less social because both of us, you know, back in her in January and me in December, I had the nastiest like flu bug that I've ever had in my life. So oh, I'm convinced oh, yeah. that I had the COVID-19. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to get that again. I don't I don't want to go through that whole process. Right. Will you get tested? No, I'm not going to get tested. And here's the reason why. I don't want to get tested because... I don't know if you read this or not. This is, you're not going to, you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. For no, our go ahead. I don't know that. that. Don't. No. Um, and, and I know we're not talking about wine off, off the bat here, but, but I mean, come on. I mean, well, how it's, can all we, kind of, I, it's all kind of relevant. <laughs> um, the, uh, if you test, if you get COVID-19 and you recover and it's discovered that you had it and you recovered, you're not eligible to enlist in the military. Oh, wow. Now, that is a sound. That's actually kind of weird. I would, really? Yes. So if you can't enlist in the military, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a form of discrimination. Right. You know, you've got something. It, literally, it's a form of discrimination. I'm thinking that you're if you're looking for a job in the future, well, why wouldn't employers have that same, you know, metric in play? Right. Because once you go and you get tested, it becomes part of the database 
that that gets sent to um you know uh that's stored in kansas city or whatever you know once it's on the once it's in the system oh once it's in your permanent record in the military it is yeah you're not, you're not, yeah you're not going to be able to remove that no so you know i'm just just for it's like I, i'm going to keep that information to myself i don't want to know that i'm positive i think that i probably had it or whatever right but you know i'm the one that knows that so that's why how about you are you going to get tested yeah, I'm or thinking. I'm actually thinking about it. Okay, for the whole family or just you? Whole family. All right. I didn't know about a lot of the restrictions that you mentioned. I'm just more for my own. Uh, on my own, would like to know. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I didn't. There were a couple of a couple of days that I literally like. I slept. I. There was one weekend I just was out all weekend, like achy, didn't want to, I didn't feel like moving around. I just slept, I literally slept for, from, you know, I got home at work on Friday and, you know, kind of felt better on Monday-ish, maybe even didn't go to work. And that was probably in February. Mm-hmm. Mary Beth had a major upper respiratory, no fever. Neither of us had fevers. We all had upper respiratory stuff this year. Like, you know, just coughing for weeks. Mary Beth had one for a long time, and she rarely gets that way. So, I don't know. I think this stuff's been out for quite a while. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think it was, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I was ill back in friggin' December. Yeah. So, I think it was even around before then. Yeah, I have. And it went, yeah. it went through our office. I mean, yeah, it just, like, it took out some people in our office that are... Took you know, out quite me. frankly, they're, they're never, they Sick. never miss work. Yeah. They were missing like three or four days. Yeah. Took out meaning they were, yeah, they took out meaning they were just not at work. Yeah, they just weren't at work. Yeah. Not that they, not <laughs> we have to be careful now. Working, well, I think one of the problems with it, there's a couple major problems that I've seen. So first of all is the unclear reporting on who actually had COVID and who didn't and who died from it and who didn't. You know, like the Italians said, weeks ago if you died with viral symptoms you're going to be counted as a covid victim well you know we lose what for around forty thousand people every year to influenza you know how many of those deaths were influenza deaths versus covid so that's sort of the first issue and then the second thing is the reporting on all of this it's just been it's been really really it highlights how bad the american media has become because it's just all this political statement about, you know, whatever political affiliation the media network wants to, or who's ever paying them. You know, we're not getting the true story about stuff. We're not getting accurate information about stuff. And it, it just seems to be, you know, scaring us to staying in our house, our homes, which is weird. And then why we would ever want to pass legislation that would decentivize or our not incentivize people not to go to work. I just I don't get that. <laughs> I have a family member who's yeah, like uh... I have a family member who's like literally in the hopper for a job. He's in the final round. They called him last week and said, "Hey, um basically called him and said, "Hey, we have candidates that are 10 to 20% um 10 to 20,000 less than what we were going to agree to you. What do you want to do?" He's like, I, I, with that kind of money, I make more money on unemployment. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, but I, I think what you know, the way I rationalize it is, 
the original intent of that legislation was to incentivize people to stay home. So, and it was also because they didn't know how long this would last. So they, sure. they picked a certain, you know, a date, certain period in the future. And now we're looking at that and going, mm, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, how, how are you going to predict? Because this is something that changes. Well, that's just a, that's just the, that's the rub in and of itself. You can't predict yeah. it. This stuff's been around forever. <clears throat> I mean, in years that we've had big flu spikes, now that I've started to see some of the data, how much of those flu spikes are actually due to another type of virus that we just don't know about? Um, and I so, agree. And and some of this could be our our scientific knowledge of these viruses. It sounds like we're just... It, it, if you've ever had any type of major medical procedure, um, and that's everything from, you know, your fa you know, having a baby to, you know, going in to have surgery for some medical condition, you will rapidly learn that we don't really know a lot <laughs> about Yeah, we really don't. We don't really yeah. and and we kinda we do these things like, Wow, we found cancer and we found a drug that kills the cancer. The drug also kills everything else. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't find that out until we start testing it on humans, so and this kind of stuff is similar, right? I mean, it's manufactured. I'm not sure I want to put a manufactured vaccine in my body either. Yeah, well, that's the old. That's the other part of it. You know, me having, you know, I don't know for sure, but I think I, I had it. So, I mean, yeah, why would exactly. I do a vaccine? I could fight it off. I'll get it again. I mean, we're all going to get it. Well, here's another. It's well, matter of when. we had this conversation yesterday with my family. <clears throat> well. Um, yeah, you had it, but and you may have the antibodies, but they may not last. So you have to get the vaccine. And I'm like, what kind of crap is that? I've had, how many yeah. vaccines have you had? I mean, I know the smallpox vaccine for sure yeah. runs out in about 10 years. So when is all that going to be figured out? I don't want to put some, like, I don't know. It's just really... Uh, and, then you, and then when you hear from the public officials like, oh yeah, we're going to have a vaccine and you know, by the end of the year, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and if nothing else, this whole cabal, I mean, this whole thing should expose the cabal of just how awful our leadership is. That's everybody from Trump all the way through into Congress. I mean, you know, that's, you yeah. know, that's, you know, it's, it's, tr it's so true. You know, it's like, hey, I'm taking hydro And now he just drops grenades in the press. The whole I'm taking hydroxychloroquine. It's just evident. Oh. It's evident why he said that. Just and did you listen to him tell him? He's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm taking it. I'm taking it too. And they, they just, they it's just tough. exploded. And then we got, we've got grandmother Pelosi, who you know they just yeah. willed out of memory care. I love her. You know, it's like, where are you from? With her purple, her color coordinated masks and stuff. I'm like, are you people serious? I absolutely love her, man. Yeah. Thank God we're not in a shooting war with somebody. Yeah, we have a neutron bomb. I tried that. It worked great. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about polar opposites. Oh, my God. Here in California, here in California, we have beach patrols where if they see somebody on the beach, oh, yeah. they're this telling is... them to leave. You know, you can't be here on yeah. the beach. I mean... Why do we live in California? I have and people it's all that, about going to the beach. Yeah, you know? I know people that got tickets. <laughs> they got thousand dollar citation for being on the beach. 
And then, and then, Bill, what is that? You look, you look at people in in uh, at the A Speedway in Alamance County in uh, North oh, yeah. Carolina. They got their flags out, and they're standing shoulder to shoulder in the stands for a car race. Yeah, and and I'm I'm looking at this photo, and I think of this photo, I can see probably you know I can count maybe okay. 40, 50 people, and I see one person wearing a mask yeah it's like what the hell yeah what's going on here man well those people will be i mean what the message is so unclear you know one side of the country it's hey it's back to normal hot dogs corn dogs and budweiser and then on the other side you know you can't even go to the ocean yeah your neighbors cross the street when they see it coming (laughs) seriously i'll be out walking people just move over I'm yeah, really that not little, a, that uncomfortable dance that we do. Oh my god! Outside. Yeah, and we <laughs> live in a town where people. This is the exact kind of issue people just love to get behind. You're not wearing a mask, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I won't breathe on you right now. I mean, what's wrong with you people? And then you're, you know, you're a moron and not a very smart person if you're not wearing a mask and social distancing. And hey, Bill, you can't get into Costco if you don't have a mask. Okay. Yeah, I was there yesterday. That's, an American. That's All true. Right. I don't, you know, look, if it helps people feel better about it, that's, I don't, you know what I'm wearing? I my, my, I have this thing called a buff that I wear when I'm skiing. Uh-huh. You know, it's like a big sock with no, with no foot in it. I just pull it up, you know? Well, yeah, that's, that's good. What I see, you know, what I see is that the financial ramifications for businesses is going to be so far reaching. And I mean, we're, we're literally, you know, you mothball, I'll just stick to restaurants. You mothball a restaurant for two and a half months and then you're going to open it up, man, you're talking about all kinds of logistical problems and all kinds of cash outlay. Yeah. You got to refurbish all the food you've got to go through all these crazy restrictions take out tables put in mannequins i mean i guards crazy the stuff you got to do you got to do all that stuff and then you got to accept the fact that you're going to make in 60 percent 70 75 percent less money and you're going to still be paying the same rent yeah, it's um. I it doesn't pencil it's not, out. No, it 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 doesn't. It's not tenable. Plus, you know, I don't think people, I don't think many people realize. People are probably tuned into uh, to anything that we say. Probably do, but you know, um, I was having a conversation with my son. He's young, seventeen, young man, and he's you know I don't understand. He was you know I don't understand why everybody just didn't convert to takeout. And I said, well, Stephen, you know, if you open your doors and you run out of takeout containers, you're out of business. And then you'll, you'll lose business going forward because you weren't oh, you were open and then not open. So just the logistics of getting containers in to take out food. Maybe you didn't have that many. You weren't a big takeout restaurant. So and if you notice who's around, it's people that probably have some pretty reasonable pockets around here. You know, Stark restaurants seem to be OK. And they were open yeah. and closing. But they've got a big, they have, what, seven or eight restaurants? So they can Yeah, get... and they've got a big bankroll as far as investors or money behind them. You know, these smaller restaurants, I mean, re- really good point, Bill. These smaller restaurants that are mom and pops. You know, I mean, when you're, when you're 
doing your receipts for what you brought in for Friday night, those Friday night receipts are paying for what the food that you brought three All weeks week. ago. Yep. You know, that's that's what is going on there. So, I mean, it's that money turns so quickly. So you just it's, it's, you you have to you know it's all based on on table count. Yeah, I, I mean, I and if like you so if you're unless your landlord's going to say, hey, instead of taking six thousand dollars a month, you know, I'll just take two thousand a month from you. And I don't know too many landlords are going to be doing that. No, can't, can't you know, because do they owe the bank. You know, I mean, it's like a, it's a it's a vicious circle. Is the bank going to say we'll take two thousand instead of your six thousand dollar mortgage payment? Probably not. Sometimes it's just you know it's. 30% or, I mean, how much of our economy is based on service business? And that means interacting with people. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have well, a 17 year, Yeah. Well, yeah. All, all of I our jobs. All of our jobs. I mean, I mean, how do I, how do I go? I mean. You have to call on the I'm, phone now and maybe do calls like, and maybe do calls like Skype. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, well, right now, good luck getting a hold of anybody because nothing's open still here in Sonoma County. We drove out to Sonoma Valley yesterday. And, you know, we drove by Montgomery Village and the only thing open is like a couple of restaurants and like yeah. a coffee shop. All of those places that are open everywhere else, like the Ross stores and, you know, um, and there's a few. It's just there's nobody. Nobody. These places might be open, but nobody's going to them. Right. You know I mean, just because you open up doesn't mean people are going to go to your friggin place and buy stuff. Yeah. So. So I was in Costco. So I went to get this. I went to Costco on a Saturday at like three o'clock. A time to never go to Costco. You don't go to Costco at that yeah. time. That's the suicide. Right. No waiting. Got right in. Got no waiting in line. I mean, virtually no waiting in line to check out. It was I was in and out of that store like I was going to a grocery store. It was amazing. It was great. So what you're saying is um, there was plenty of toilet paper available. Plenty of toilet paper, pallets of toilet <laughs> paper. Yeah. You know, I couldn't find baby wipes, but that's a whole different, which is weird. I mean, the diaper, everything was there, but baby wipes. I don't, you know, anyway. Isn't it funny how we all just run to like different things? Yeah. Well, I mean, these were things that we typically have on hand in our house. We just, and we buy them in, in, you know, like face wipes and stuff. I shouldn't say baby wipes or facial wipes. As they were just out. It was well, here's, weird. Uh, here's but, my grocery story. Uh, quite, um, story. I went to uh, I went to the local uh, grocery store right across the corner. Not not a chain or anything. And uh, ground beef that you would use for a hamburger is ten dollars a pound. What? <laughs> like <laughs> like what? Like regular? Was it grass fed? Single grass fed, all right. You know, ground beef. I mean, it was high end ground beef, but ten dollars a pound. Yeah, but you can find that stuff for six dollars a pound. Yeah, <laughs> that. What? Like, and my wife was like, "I really want burgers," and I said to her, "Well, you know, we'll fire up the grill and make some burgers." And I was like, "My gosh, you're better. <laughs> you're better off going to buy one somewhere. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you know, you that's like the fifteen dollar burger." But I'll, but I want to, you know, to kind of bring this thing back to business, to, to, um, to what you, you know, what you had started talking about with regard to, you know, how things are going to continue from the small business that I sit in, which is collision repair right now. I mean, these guys were not ready. Um, they're, they had barely started 
what I would call a digital transition where they can mm-hmm. run their business completely online. Um, and they have no experience and um, knowledge of sort of how to do digital marketing. You know, most of these businesses pay for people to do this. And I would advocate now that your salespeople are going to have to be doing this type of work. You know, um, somebody's going to have to be out advertising online to either get people to make an appointment to come into your retail place. um, Or, you know, you're just selling things online and and delivering it. You know, you know what? Well, I'm sorry to break in, but you know what really, uh, before I lose this thought, what's really amazing to me in that business is, I I mean, they probably weren't prepared and there's probably a whole bunch of other people in the collision repair business that weren't repaired as well. Um, But dude, have you been on the roads over the past month? There's nobody out there. So uh, there's less cars on the road, so nobody's running into each other. So there's no car, there's less cars to repair to begin with. Yeah, well, fortunately for us, we do a lot of business um, co- business repair. So we have agreements with fleets and stuff. So there are still trucks crashing as they're delivering yeah. stuff. Well, I will. That's, that's comforting. Yeah. It, well, I will say in the last four weeks, the amount of traffic on the road is essentially doubled every week. And yeah, this last, uh, yeah, yeah. And this last weekend was like a normal commute day. It was bumper to bumper. Really? It was bumper to bumper all the way from Novato. So this is Thursday evening, about six o'clock. It was bumper to bumper all the way from Novato through Petaluma. Yeah, I haven't gone that way as much, <clears throat> uh, so that that hasn't been been my experience. Uh, yeah. it definitely seems like it's just. I mean, it does seem like it's clogged at some points, but that's because they're doing road work. I think they're doing they pumped up all the road work they're doing uh, during this time when there's less less people on the road. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely not like it was when school was in. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. It's not like that. No. I would say it's getting, though, closer to like 60 to 70% of its normal volume. I've just noticed in the past, you know, month or so, every week there'd just be more traffic. When it began, it was awesome. I remember the first, like right after it went down, I drove into the office because we're considered essential. I know you are, too. Um, man, there was, it, it, it was like driving on an Autobahn with nobody there. <laughs> yeah. You've seen all the, you've seen all the news clips where people are going tooling down at 110 oh, miles an hour I, and getting pulled over. Yeah. You know, Cause I'm, we make all these cars that are just that go incredibly I, fast now. I have, I have a quote unquote ultimate driving machine. And as <laughs> I was do. blowing through Novato at 105, <laughs> I was like, Oh hell, this is probably bad idea. <laughs> And there's there yeah, were cops around. It's hard to explain that to the officer when you pull over. You know, it's like when you get pulled over. Well, you know, no, I wasn't paying it. attention. They get it. They get it. <laughs> They're like, hey, you know, you're going. Usually, hopefully, when that happens, if you're going that fast, they'll cut you the brake and go, well, I'm only going to wrote you for ten over. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. okay, thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Unbelievable. I, I don't need the felony speeding ticket on my license exactly. or exactly. whatever the hell they do. But it's, uh, you know, I think businesses and especially retail and restaurants, it it completely changes the game for them. And this isn't going to go away. That's the other thing. This is going to come back in the fall. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, it's like, you know, am I going to have to have an appointment to go to like an, um, 
um, you know, like a clothing store, which I could see. Yeah. You know, you want to go yeah, buy something. Yeah, to try the clothes on. Yeah. Yep. How would that work? How do you try on a pair of jeans or you're going to have to. Yeah, you're going to have to. They're going to have to. They're going to have to wash it. So you're going to have to go in the room, try on the clothes. And then if it fits, you can take it. And if it doesn't, it goes to a bin that they so maybe they sanitize it somehow. They maybe like to run it through spray. a ozonator or something. Yeah. Or a, um, kind some kind of spray it with some ozone gas or something. Yeah. I mean, these all these things I, are what are you all, gonna... <laughs> What I think about is I, <laughs> I, I think mean... about the dentist. How do I go to, you know, how's that work? OK, I'm going to the dentist. We're talking about that's pretty personal. Your mouth is open. And yeah. they're in there doing stuff. How does that work? Well, so what they, my dentist just sent a big thing out explaining how they're already prepared for this because they de- they have to deal with people with infectious diseases all the time. Right. Um, and I think my doc mentioned HIV. He said back when HIV happened and we figured out it was, you know, you could transmit through blood, it made a lot of changes to their business. So, you know, they can go in all gloved up, all gowned up with a shield on and still do their job and they've practiced doing that so they don't they don't feel that that's an issue for them at least my dentist doesn't and then you know i think we got to get the testing ramped up i have a friend that's in the medical business um he works for a company that does they sequencing they sequence your gut dna Mm -hmm. and to prescribe a protocol for you for diet and exercise and they can basically keep you from being diabetic by doing this and have nice. been able to prove it. And wow. he's like, there's, so he, the reason I'm telling you about, about him is, is he's like, he's familiar with how all this testing stuff works and all the sort of medical infrastructure and protocols. And he's like, right now there's only one test for COVID that's accurate. It's, you got to go to lab core. And he rattled off a very specific pr- testing protocol. And he's like, if you don't take this test, and you get tested, it's not accurate. So there's only like one accurate version. That's and he said that still like has issues in terms of it, um, <clears throat> in terms of its testing. Like it doesn't meet all the relevant science around the testing protocol. It's not the best you can get. Um, my knowledge is pretty limited here, but that was just really interesting and sort of more fuel for. There's just so, there's just not enough information, and the information we're getting is just not coordinated. Fauci was on sixty minutes, three in the begin at the end of March, saying masks are useless, don't wear them, they don't yes, do anything. Yeah, and then he changes his tune a week later. Like, what the hell is going on? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it was all. It just shows how the it was all about the political policy because they, there weren't enough masks to go around. So right. Uh, let's just tell people not to go out and buy masks because then we'll be in worse shape we'll be than out. ever. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's what that was about. That's pretty easy to see through that. And then you um, look at countries like Japan and Japan. So the Japanese have always been good about if you're sick, you, you isolate. And if you do have to go out, you wear a mask. So when you see people in Asia, it's predominantly, I've seen this in Asia before this, would have a mask on, it was more of a courtesy that you didn't get others sick. And that works. Yes. Yeah. You know what else they did in this COVID thing is they commandeered, the government commandeered a bunch of hotels. And if you felt sick, 
you went to those hotels. They were called isolation hotels voluntarily. And they tested you and you couldn't get out of the hotel until you were clean. We have those here parties. too, man. Well, what? It's called, it's called, we got a new the one. hospital. It's called Finley Center. Yeah, exactly. That's a homeless encampment. Okay. All right. I'm not going to get involved with that. But hey, uh, let's move on and talk a little bit about wine if we could. I guess. Yeah. Well, is there <laughs> is there anything to talk about? Hey, one thing we probably should talk about is my alcohol consumption has definitely gone up over this break. And uh, I notice yeah. I'm if calling a break. Yeah. If we're if we're not doing a bottle a day, we're not we're not we're not acting properly in our household. Oh, it's just it's not good. It's and anyway. Yeah, it, it's going to have long-reaching ramifications. I think I um I think I tweeted the other day, um, put out a tweet, and it was something to the effect of, "Hey, you think uh, you think things are bad now? Wait till a few years later from now. Our country's going to be run by um, uh, uh, kids that were." Um, kids that were uh, uh, homeschooled by uh, binge drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> oh, man. That's where, that's where we're headed, man. <laughs> well, that's pretty funny. It's sad but so, true. Hey, uh, see, can you see this bottle? Yeah. You know, I can't... Don't, mention the lab- don't mention the label. Oh, anything. okay. Yeah. But because it's not, it's really not their thing. But um, I wanted to talk real briefly about corked wine, and I know we've reached this subject before. But uh, what's your thoughts? You know, I mean, you know, the the main profile on a corked wine is if you have a corked bottle of a certain type of wine, you have an uncorked bottle. The first thing you notice is that the fruit flavors um, and and the expression of the wine is. Um, markedly uh, diminished in the corked wine. So um, I ordered uh, a six pack of this wine um, from um, online, which is another thing. Now you can't, here you can't, well, I think in other areas you might be able to, but here you can't go in, walk into a wine shop and actually um, look around and purchase bottles and then go out. our, Our wine retailers are essentially essentially closed. So the only way that you can get the wines here in our area is to place an order online and um, they'll ship it to you. Or you could, um, for the bottle barn, which is kind of nice, it just started this a week week ago, you can order the wine and then you can actually pick it up. And they'll call you and they'll send you an email and let you know when you can pick it up. Nice. So um, I got this wine. I opened it up. Uh, I had it. I sat on it for about a week and a half and then I grabbed the bottle, opened it up one night. And immediately I was like, as you would say, Bill, ah, tastes like gack. Yeah. Uh, it was just awful. And uh, it wasn't really the taste. Um, immediately, you know, the first thing you do with wine is you look at the color. Wine 101. Second thing you do is you want to swirl around the glass and take a whiff. And, well, that second step was like all I got was it's like the smell of if you had. I know nobody gets new. Very few people get newspapers these days. But if you had some newspapers that were stacked outside your door and they had somehow got wet, it's that moldy, wet newspaper, wet cardboard smell was just all over this wine. So I'm thinking, eh, maybe, maybe it's maybe it'll blow off. So I I vigorously put it in a decanter and shook it around. Thirty minutes later, it's still the same. So I stuck it in the fridge. 
and uh, we just got something else, Al, because, you know, it's, it's a bad bottle. But I was curious, so I opened up another bottle a few days ago of, from the same lot that I ordered from to taste what it's really supposed to take, taste like, and that was, that was my confirmation that it was indeed a very cooked bottle. So my question to you, Bill, is if you order, I ordered this wine from um, a retailer on the East Coast, and it was clearly a cork bottle. What do I do? How do I? What, I mean, I I paid twenty two bucks for this bottle. How do I get? What do I do? Yeah, I think How one I of the you gotta you gotta talk to the merchant and tell them it's yeah. corked and see what they'll what they're willing to do. I mean, they should replace it. Most merchants will, but the uh, in my experience. But the other. Um, you also have to check their terms. They may have terms that say, "Hey, we ship this thing, and once it leaves our dock, we're not responsible." But I, but I doubt that. Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting. Uh, I just brought it up because we're all. I don't know how you're. How are you buying wine these days? Because I'm buying wine from all from from retailers uh, online, and the wines that I'm buying, I find, are the wines that I know. Because typically, what I'll do is I'll go into a wine store. I'll pick out a six-pack or a 12-pack of wines that I don't know, and then I'll just try them. And that's how I find out about wines, and that's how I learn wines. And the other way is going to trade tastings. Well, trade right. tastings are out the door, uh, so this is really my only avenue. Um, it's, it's. I mean, how do you – it's just one bottle. I don't want to go through the hassle, so I'm just going to eat it. It's a quart bottle. I'll just like, no big deal. I don't want to go through the hassle of who's going to ship one bottle. And I really don't – they don't have anything on their site that I'm interested in to buy like another six pack or a, a 12 pack of, of something. So I'm just going to eat that bottle. Yeah. Then they're not going to refund is, it. This they're, is something that happens. They're not going to refund that thing. They would if I call them, I'm sure, but I'm just not going to go through the exercise because I don't plan on ordering anything from them in the future. Uh, and here's why. If I order something from the East coast, it's going to take three or four days for it to get out here. And it's got to pass through Sacramento, which is like, hell on earth these days i mean if it's not 95 degrees every yeah. day it's hot so it's just not safe to ship wine yeah at this point i mean you can't ship right now anyway yeah and if you're not planning if you're not planning to uh buy from them again i mean it makes sense that you don't but the i mean what you um you know what i've learned from you and others in the business is if you get a bottle like this you know it, it there there is some expectation that um, the merchant is going to make you whole. And it, it's one of the things that we've advocated for in this podcast is that buy, buy or find a good local merchant and buy your wine from them because in this instance, it pays. You get a corked wine, yes. that merchant's going to replace it for you. Plus, if that merchant learns your palate or at least things a little, a little uh, you know, some things about your palate, they're going to recommend wines that you probably would never pick up because that's mm -hmm. your business. So. Yep. <clears throat> Um, one of so the things where have I, you been buying your wine these days? Mostly retail at the supermarket. Okay. Um, and we have a couple of wine club subscriptions, so we've just been dipping into our cellar. Um, gotcha. One thing I picked up yesterday that I will report out, I got some, I noticed, uh, I have not had any of this yet, so and I don't have any knowledge of it, but I'm interested in it. We picked up champagne from Costco. It's their brand. It's Kirkland Champagne. Mm -hmm. But it's champagne. It's from Reams. So, yeah, you know, I'm nice. yeah, I'm interested to see what that's like. 1990, 1999, 1995 a bottle. 
So I just God, that's incredible. Yeah, and they had. I was surprised that they they had Dom, they had Vouve, they had a couple other um, French brands. I was surprised at the selection. Um, yeah, Costco's not a bad place to shop, man. Yeah, and for wine these days, and for me, it works out really good. Um, actually, I'm going to Costco today later. Um, hopefully, I have the same experience you had. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. There's like nobody um, there. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I went to Roner Park, I should tell you that. And I do notice that the wine selection between Santa Rosa and Roner Park is different. And I like Roner Parks better. Oh, I'm the opposite. I like the Santa Rosa one oh, better. Oh, interesting. But, <laughs> but the Santa Rosa one has a better Italian collection. Oh, uh, okay. That's why. I, I kind of I, I kind of spew towards the Italian wines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, uh, the Ser Lapo that we talked about several podcasts ago, yes. uh, the 2015. Yes. Costco has the 2016 oh. Ser Lapo, which is why I'm. That's one of You're the reasons go. I'm going there today. Yeah. Let's pick up a couple bottles and try it out. Uh, but Costco is a great place here in California to shop for wine. For there's a couple reasons. They get stuff that's unusual. Yeah. And usually the stuff they get is very good. It's priced super competitively, and it's stored properly in the stores. So I mean, those are just four really good reasons to shop at Costco. If you, but you know, if you are uh, agoraphobic, Costco, yeah, maybe Costco. Not so much. Sorry to talk over you. <clears throat> That's right. Costco's only uh, uh, wine buyers are oniophiles, and they, unlike a lot of places in the warehouse, they have a lot of discretion per store to buy wine. Yep. So, like, the wine buyer from a store can call up a winery and buy wine. That's Correct. That's, like, that doesn't happen with other stuff in the store. So, they have, and, you know, you get a, it's a winery, you get a call from Costco. You know, you're like, send the trucks. You're like, send the trucks. Yeah. When they say something, you just say yes. Yeah. yeah. Send the trucks. We're done. Would, Where do I sign? Like to, yes. <laughs> Well, and yes, I, Mr. Costco. The reason I'm saying that is it's probably going to be a good deal for the winery. They're probably going to make good money, and they're going to probably sell uh, out everything of whatever that wine is. So it's a good deal for the winery. Um, I don't know how that – I haven't heard sort of long-term how that happens. I mean, obviously, Costco goes to various producers that can produce the volume that they need. Um. So, you know, you can go get a good bottle of pickup varietal, whatever it might be. And it's going to be, you're going to be able to get that $20 bottle of wine for probably under 15 maybe even closer to 10 or 14 just because of the volume. But then they can go out and buy other wines that, that um, you've never heard of, may not be as large as produced, and they get awesome deals, screaming deals on this stuff. And it's a really good... It's one of the few places that I will take a flyer on a bottle, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I versus a versus a supermarket or something. You know, if I'm going into a wine shop, I expect them to tell me, hey, I'm looking for a bottle of blah, blah. I'm looking for a bottle of Zinfandel. Here's how much I want to pay. And I expect to be shown two or three options that are sort of in my price range or a recommendation of another similar wine. Going into a supermarket, finding some good deal or some other like Bevmo or one of those things, I'm not taking the risk. And Costco, I'm probably gonna, but I'm gonna try it. It just, they're, they're good at buying wine. Hey man, what what's my deal? I shop at the Trader Joe's and there's a Bevmo next door. I haven't been in that Bevno, Bevmo in probably two years. Why don't I go in there? Tell me, Bill. Why? why there's do just I not nothing in there. there. You're gonna. There's nothing in there for you. 
Bevmo is more interesting for the snacks that they may get in there. Okay. I mean, honestly. I mean, the they beer. Have a, they have a huge wine selection, but nothing really, nothing ever really gets me going in there for, what, for whatever reason. Were you saying Mr. Mr. Wong is bad? Is no, Mr. Willy Wong? Wong's gone a long time ago. Mr. Man. Willy Wong? Um, I see him all the time at the tasting. Yeah. That guy's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He's so awesome. Um, you just see him in action at a like uh, a dinner or something, man. He steals the room. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. He's a very unassuming person, too, when you meet him. Yeah. Yeah. He's the guy that you're like, who's this clown? <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Noah about the flood. Exactly. Oops. Exactly. Um, hey, um, uh, let's pivot to uh, this Oregon winery that's, uh, I mean, this whole podcast has been about the corona, coronavirus, so let's just keep it going. Yeah. Uh, we got this Oregon winery that's uh, deploying ultraviolet light technology uh, to combat uh, coronavirus. And uh, it's uh, Willamette Valley Vineyards uh, in uh, Turner, Washington. Did you read that? It's uh, something along the lines, what they call it, they call it an air scrubber. And essentially it's uh, something that they hook to their ventilation system. And they spent 30000 on it. And what it does is it, it uh, all of the oxygen and water molecules that enter the system, they pass through a, a UV light and a filtering system called the coated honeycomb matrix. And the water, the, the air that goes out uh, back into the vi- environment is supposed to seek out and destroy uh, bacteria and viruses that are in the air and on surfaces. Uh, that's pretty cutting edge, I'd say. And uh, is that where we're headed, Bill? Yeah, I think so. Casey more, moves. definitely more and more. I don't think the UV technology is good stuff. I think we should use more of it. It probably help. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see more and more of this stuff. There was another article you posted too about um, um, it was a New York Times article, maybe about um, about winemaking. Yep, it is a wine spectator cautious re- reopening, and then there was another. Um, yeah, this was a New York Times article about. Um, you know, just how long, just how hard it's going to be for the wineries to keep, you know, to keep doing their thing from a business standpoint. But you're talking about this woman, Ann, Ann Craner at Shaken Ridge Ranch, and she's like out in her vineyard with a mask on and gloves. You know, are we going to go? Yeah. To, are we going to go? Is this kind of to your point about the UV technology trying to solve this problem? Are we going to go to a complete environment where? You know, everything's kind of like a clean room. Like if you're in production for food, you got to be gowned up, gloved up, masked up. Um, man, it's going to be hell in the in the fields picking grapes with all that gear on. Um, and then, you know, yeah. are we going to implement laws that say you have to have run it through UV and all of that good stuff? And what does UV do to wine? Like if you actually manufacture wine, make wine, does that, are you going to UV your wine? I think it would kill everything. Well, I think in the wine world, um, what they would use, what would they be more likely to use would be um, uh, ozone, because you know that's what they use in a lot of food production is ozone because yeah, it has such a, a yeah. short half life. Yep. But this picture of Ann Kramer is when I saw that picture, I didn't understand it. Yeah. Because 
those vines are just getting ready to the point where they're getting ready to flower. Why is she wearing a mask unless I, she's trying to protect the people that are taking the photo? Because she's out in a friggin' vineyard. There's nobody around. I don't really, I didn't, I didn't get that. Seems I, like, uh, I think it maybe was to, to put the point that, okay, there's a pandemic and, you know, I'm, I'm garbed up or whatever. But it didn't make sense that she's, at, she's out in this open air vineyard and there's nobody near her. There would well, really be no need. And what I've seen from people over in um, what they're doing, uh, just in Alexander Valley, when they're doing the pruning, instead of pruning uh, one row and then you have a guy in the next row, they're skipping rows. So you have a, a, a guy that's There's social distance pruning. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's social distance pruning. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, well, and this is my whole, so all of that, all that stuff does is add costs, right? I mean, it's just. Yes. It's just it's adding costs and everything, and we could find ourselves in a really vicious cycle where, you know, we've got a third of the population not working. There's a hundred million Americans unemployed. Now that's not that that's a big number, because not everybody in a population can work. You know, you have kids and and old people, so you know that takes out twenty twenty ish percent of the population from the work population. Three hundred thirty million Americans, hundred million at work. Prices are going to go up because it costs more to manufacture. That could be a real killer of the economy. So at some point, well, you, have, you have to ask yourself, is the disease bad enough to put, impose all these restrictions? You know, and that's where you get these ideas like herd theory, um, which I'm in favor of. Protect the sick, isolate the, you know, protect the old and people who are most vulnerable, and then isolate the people that are sick and, and keep working on a vaccine or something else. But just business as usual. Well, here's the problem. That's my opinion, that. by the way. Yeah, here's the problem with the whole idea, <laughs> or part of that idea, is you can't do business as usual because business, as far as wine business, was already floundering, as we have uh, talked about in previous podcasts. Yeah, It's slowing down, and there's too much wine in tanks already. Yeah, You know, in Europe... They're like they're they're proposing, no, they're proposing, they're passing legislation that is mandating that certain farmers, dis, you know, that they convert their, they distill their wine and convert it into hand sanitizer. I mean, that's how much wine is in the world. It's like you you have to take X amount of what you have in tank and convert it to hand sanitizer, and we're going to give you X amount for it. Yeah, I mean that's that's where we are, man. Yeah. This wine cannot be. There's too much wine, and there's not enough demand. Because if you think about the the thing that's killing the wine industry, not only the fact that they made too much wine, but that at the same time, all the restaurants in the world closed. Because yeah. that's where the wine sold. Yep. One of the benefits <clears throat> of this for us as consumers is that we're getting a window into all of the really precious. Good wine, cool, you know, offbeat wine yep. that the, only the restaurants used to get. Yep. That wine is starting to show up retail, and it's starting to show up on flash sites, yeah. which is pretty cool. But it's not helping the cause. That's such a small part of it. But the the main point that I'm trying to make here is we have too much wine, and the the point for this article with Anne and the vineyard, she's saying, you know, I have these long term contracts with these people. Huh. Um, I'm going to have to be a little bit more lenient on the terms yep. of the contracts that I set with my buyers now because, hey, you know, the terms have changed for them. They're not going to try to buy as many grapes. Maybe they're not going to buy any grapes at all. 
because there's no demand. A lot of the people that buy grapes from her, it's a small production thing, and their market died. If you don't have your wine in a supermarket, you better be figuring out a way to sell that wine some other way. And that's what everyone's scrambling to do. Have you seen the number of Zoom uh, wine tastings that have been on? You can't keep, every time I turn around, I'm getting an email about yeah, somebody that's having yeah. a Zoom, you know, uh, tasting. Yeah, it's that. That's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, it has I been. haven't done one yet. <laughs> I well, we tried that one time, I think, I guess, but it wasn't really a virtual tasting where we were both yeah. online at the same time. Um, I. You know, as an anecdotal example, uh, one of my nephews works at a pretty high volume, uh, you know, not a uh, fast casual, but a, a nice restaurant in L.A. Um, and their their staff is staying connected. So they they shut down for a while. They started takeout again. Um, but their their sommelier team meets every week and they're still keeping up. So they're, you know, kind of trying wines, just kind of staying social with each other too. Um, and, and so I, I think this whole conversation that we're having right now is a good, is um, indicative of what's going to happen. And what I mean by that is there's just so much uncertainty with how yes. things are going to happen that it's, it, uh, boy, it would tough to be a business owner right now, no matter what you did. I'm so glad I'm not in a pizza business. Do you know what I, Anymore. I mean? Well, I, just, I, you know, I can imagine being in that in that position. You'd survive, right? Because it's food that your orders would probably go up. You know, it's could you cope with? Um, could you get there fast enough to do what you needed to do to stay in business? And so, what does that mean? Well, you've got to be digital. All the restaurants are winning. Are are winning? Are the ones that already had order online? You know, they didn't have to yeah. go implement a website to take orders. And then you got to get a payment system in place. That's not trivial. And yes, you no, can. That's true. You know, yes, you can buy it all and you can buy it off the shelf, but you still have to have It's a learning curve. And so that, yeah. you know, that's one thing there. And then you got to get all the takeout gear that you need. So you may not have had, I mean, you had a week worth of pizza boxes. Well, you might have gone through that in a couple of days, especially when this thing started. Yeah. And then you got to, well, like, people are not coming to work. No. I hear all the time on the radio business owners going, and we're seeing it where I work. People are like, I'm making more money on employment. I hate working for you people. I'm not coming in the office. Fire me. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? that's, I mean, that's, that's a technical glitch there. I think if you get called back, there needs to be some mechanism. I mean, unless you have a reasonable reason for not going back, aside from I just want to collect more money, right. um, there, there should be some mechanism where the business can say, hey, I offered this person a job back, and uh, they just said they're not coming back in. They don't have a valid reason, so then they get cut off from uh, unemployment. I mean, that's, I mean, that's only fair, right? It seems to be. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really but here's the thing about a restaurant and the takeout. If I could just go on a little side side jar here, the one thing that people are missing, I think, and I'm not saying you, I think people in general are missing when they go out uh, and they're doing takeout. The reason now that they can do the takeout and the reason that it works is because there are less people in the kitchen. I mean, I'm just thinking about every kitchen that I've been in. I mean, I waited tables all through. 
all through high school and all through college. And then after that, the kitchen is the last thing that people think about when they're designing the restaurant. <laughs> it seems to me. <laughs> and it's usually the smallest space of the restaurant. It's all about the bar, the cocktail lounge, yeah. the dining area. The kitchen is a very, very, very small part of that, which just by definition means that people work extremely close together. So how do you social distance in a restaurant where the fry cook is right next to the saute guy, which is right next to the guy that's making the salad? <laughs> yeah, you don't. Just, how do you yeah. do that? You don't. That's just the whole, you don't. You got one person that does everything, I guess. Or you have, just, you know, you had four stations. Now you got to figure out you can only do two. So you have to totally reconfigure. That's sort of my point. You have to completely reconfigure your operation. And that's, yeah. that's like not, that's, uh, you know, how do you do that? I mean, the restaurants that I've been in to pick stuff up, um, there's one person. There might be a dishwasher in the back and there's one person running the register and cooking the food. Gotcha. You know, or well, there's one person in the register, somebody doing dishes, somebody's cooking. But that's it. There's no more like three or four people max in a restaurant. I mean, I don't know. And can you do enough volume? I don't think you can. And here's why I think you can't. I don't think you can do it. And here's why I don't think it's possible. Danny Meyer, who is a, a, a yeah. New York City restaurateur. Shake Shack. I mean, he, he owns... He, he's the executive officer for like Union Square Hospitality Group. Yeah. Like two two weeks into this thing when it was happening in March, he said he just he mothballed all the restaurants. Yeah. Closed them up. And he hasn't opened them up yet. Because he's figured out that he can't make money and it's not safe for his employees to work. Right. So he just closed up the restaurants. And I you're going to see a lot more of that from people that really know business. That guy's been in business. He's been in the restaurant business for like Forever. 40 yeah. years. Yeah. And, and it, it has a reputation of, so he's done a lot of really interesting things in that restaurant, in the restaurant business as well. Like he's one of the people that started the no tip effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's noted for, um, he's noted for being able to, to hire and develop people that deliver hospitality. Yeah. You ever read it run of his, I'm not talking about Shake Shack and even Shake Shack's has its own pluses over some of the other quick service restaurants. But in general, if you've gone to a union square, if you've gone to Gramercy Tavern or any of his other restaurants, it it's a thing. It's really, he's kind of figured out how to tap into that DNA and hire for it. So to Al's point, this guy is no neophyte in the industry and thinks long and hard about how to do things right. And, you know, it's interesting that he's like, hey, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to play right now. And also, that's a lot of uncertainty out there. This all comes back to uncertainty. You know, it's investors yeah. are saying the same thing. I don't really know what's going to happen, so I'm parking my money. But there will, yeah. be, there will be businesses that survive. It, it is a, it's a question, too, of whether or not consumers are ready for it. As an example, in collision repair, we've gone to mobile estimating, and we, we will pick up your car and fix it and drop it off. You know, you have to interact with us. Take a couple of pictures, tell us you we, we can do it, and we'll come get it and fix it and bring it back. Not a lot of consumers are ready for that, that whole idea yeah, that's about... Pretty that's a great model, I think. But people aren't ready for it. What? Well, you're yeah. going to come pick up a car 
And I mean, we go one better. I can bring you a car. I can bring you a car on a flatbed wrecker. So I'll bring you a car that you can drive around while I fix your car. And that's, that's think, all. That's all paid for. I don't know, man. I think people are. I think certain people are ready for it. I mean, people buy cars now without ever driving them. They that, just go online and freaking buy a car. It, that happens. It's true. It's true. But there's a lot of. Um, and I agree. I think some of this. Uh, I, I'm definitely a proponent of what I just described. I, you know, I just want to work. There's a lot of things in my life that I work kind of work like this. Yeah. Like I know who's doing it. Like I know if I already have a relationship with the retailer or the vendor, just come handle the thing. And yeah, what? Just take care of it. What just all of this of really reminded me of recently is. Um, you know how local things used to be and how we used to get this type of service from our local vendors anyway. I remember mm-hmm. my mom calling people up at the store saying, I need, you know, I need a loaf of bread, milk, blah, blah, blah. And it was either waiting at the curb when she drove up or they delivered it. You know, I'm talking in the 70s, right? And that, you know, it's old. Yeah, you're but talking what, Brady Bunch, Sam the Butcher. Yep. But that, yeah. that stuff's all going to come back. Because it's all going to go back local for a variety of reasons. Yeah, it already has. Yeah, I think. And so you're going to see more and more stuff like this. You know, we used to talk about good service. This is one of the good service things that you used to get. You know, pickup, delivery, um, scheduled appointments. Mm-hmm. It'll be, you know, either. And the word on the street from the people, you know, looking for jobs is you either need to find a job that's local that you can drive to, or it's got to be done remotely. Because this idea that you're going to commute into the city or commute somewhere for a gig sort of disappearing. I mean, you're seeing that's, the big, I mean, the big yeah. tech companies have already done it. Both Google, Facebook, and, or Twitter have said you can work from home. And there are yeah, a lot my of, son is, uh, my son's not going, um, he's not scheduled to go back into the office till sometime next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How's that work? Yeah. Well, they're, they're online. Don't come in. Yeah, close the campus. Yeah, not allowed to go in. Well, and just imagine what that's going to do. Kind of to your point, what that, what that, what that's going to do to real estate. So, you know, these companies are all going to be like, we need a third of the real estate that we used to have. Yes, I. We just need offices for meetings. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a boom for people that uh, build offices for the new COVID nineteen experience. But it's also going to be a bust for people that have large amounts of office space oh that God. they need to get filled yeah. because there's just not going to be a demand for it. Yeah. Well, if you pay attention to startups, you'll know about a company called WeWork. Mm-hmm. Um, WeWork is a um, an uh, is a startup company with temporary offices, and uh, I would also say they come with culture. So they have event like if you work in a WeWork office, they have events that you can go to. Um, you know, sort of like happy hours and those types of things, food. Well, they they had some other issues with their company earlier before pre-COVID, but post-COVID, the investment firm, I think they took a multi-billion dollar loss from WeWork. And then I think they just ra- they just sold stock to raise another $3 billion. So, okay. you know, it's funny money to us because, you know, it's not, you know, it's not our money, but the... Um, you know, what I'm saying is that whole business model around sort of this virtual office space is just blown up. It's blown up. Yep. This has gone away. Interesting times indeed. 
so uh, we're uh, we're probably times I agree. Drinking, what have you been drinking? Oh my God, I'm telling you, man, I've been drinking the good stuff when it comes to this bottle. So um, can you see that label? I can barely see it. Here, hang on a second. Now I can. Huh. Hey, just an aside, real quick, man. Um, going back, I know we keep bouncing back. I keep bouncing back to the COVID. I can't, but check out my lettuce, dude. I need a haircut. Oh yeah, big way. I mean, I can hook you up if you need to. <laughs> I got I an, under- an underground one, man. I want him to open up. So and, yeah, I got the underground barber. <laughs> I resisted for a long time too. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to cut my hair. My wife's like, you're getting your haircut. So I went. I'm, you know. Nothing grows out longer than it. Nothing takes longer to grow out than a bad haircut. Yeah, my wife's well, my wife so far she's been pretty good with it. But you know, I I'm I'm kind of I told her I'm channeling Link from Mod Squad. <laughs> no, there's, there's a reference for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I could come over with the number two. <laughs> I got one. Yeah. I just don't trust my wife with it. <laughs> oh, I'm, I believe me. There was a time where I'm like, I'm just doing it. I'm just doing it myself. <laughs> And then I find so, you hey. know some random Twitter <laughs> reference. Don't cut your own hair, whatever you do. So this is um, this bottle is um, this is a white wine from Italy. It's called um, Dertona, um, and it's made from the um, it's from the hills of uh, Tortonese, uh, Coli Tortonese. And actually, this is in uh, south. This wine hails from. Southeast uh, Piemonte, which is uh, northern Italy, and uh, it's called it's called Timorasso, Timorasso, uh, T I M O R A S S O, and the maker is uh, um, uh, Luigi, uh, Luigi Berry. So that's the name of the the winemaker. Uh, it's a rare white. That you're not going to see when you walk into the grocery store, probably because it's made from Timorasso. But um, it's the the grapes are planted on seventy um, percent clay and thirty uh, percent um, um, limestone, and uh, like Marley limestone. Um, it's uh, it's crushed and it's allowed to um, it's allowed to. Uh, sit on the grapes in the tank for like 40 to 60 hours so it gets a lot of uh skin skin contact and it's fermented using native yeast and it's 100 percent timorasso but it's what's interesting about this wine is it never sees wood it spends a year in the tank in a, in a stainless steel tank and what they do is um they give it a botanage a tank botanage is what they they put like a mixer in it's called a gooth mixer and it mixes up all of the leaves that fall to the bottom into the wine. So it has this, periodically they do this batonage. And that's designed to give the wine a little bit more complexity and depth. Um, uh, by the way, Dirthona is Latin for the city of Tortona, which is the village um, in Italy. So um, the area where this wine is made is called Costa Vescovato. And um, it's in the province of uh, Alessandria. So enough of all that Italian stuff. To, to make a long story short, to tell you where it is, if you look at the city of Genova, which is on the Mediterranean Sea, it's about an hour north of that. Hmm. Okay? Um, it's uh, 
I bought this. There's an interesting story behind this also. So I had a bottle. This is a 2017. I had a bottle of the 2015. And a lot of times for me, what happens is bottles in all the wine that I have stored. And this is one that got lost. So I opened up a 2015. It's getting a little warmer. It's nice to have white wine, not drink so much red. I'm mixing in some whites. My wife flipped. She loved this Love the wine. wine. She goes, you got to get some more. So when the wife says I got to get some more, what do I do, Bill? Oh, you, you, you just buy it. You have the <laughs> order ready buy. to go. I just buy. So I ordered a bottle of the 2016, which was on the site for this uh, place that I know of in the city. I've been there before. I've never really ordered any wine from them because I don't really get a good vibe when I went into the shop. And it's all about the vibe and the people that are selling the wine for me also. That's a big part of the buying experience, right? Sure. For anything. So, but this wine, they don't make a whole bunch of it. And this is the only place that had it that I could find in the United States. So I ordered it. I got it like three or four days later. You know, they shipped it up. It was great. Guess what? I ordered the 2016. I got the 2017. Oh. So... They sent me they sent me the the wrong vintage, which in itself is no is not really that big of a deal. But you know they should have probably called me or emailed me to let me know that they were going to swap and change vintages, right? I would agree. So yesterday I got a little thing at they were asking about my buyer experience, so I'm looking forward to filling that out. I'll just say hey, you know I don't mind it. Just just let me know you're going to make a substitution. That's all. Back to the wine. Uh, it's bright yellow uh, and straw colored in the glass. Interestingly enough, this wine is one that ages well. Like I said, I had the 2015. That was the wine that I had. And as it ages, it gets a little bit more complexity and it seems like it has a little bit more. Um, it's obviously smoother. It's not as acidic, but it's, it's just a much uh, more uh, rounded mouthfeel. Um, so this 2017, it's got. Um, the aromas are white peach, grapefruit, uh, Meyer lemon, and like white flowers. And on the palate, um, it's just it's just savory, is what I would say. It's savory in its full body. And since it's it's kind of vinified like a red wine, since it sits on its skins for a while, it kind of has a red wine feel to it. It's almost like I think if you didn't know if it was served in a black glass and you didn't you weren't able to actually see the wine, you might guess that it's red wine because it, it has a lot it's of just, texture. It's got a lot of good depth to it. And it's just, it, it tastes like a red, red wine. Uh, it's 14% alcohol, by the way. So it, it packs a pretty good wallop. And, uh, but it's well balanced borders on like, um, tropical fruit with yellow peaches when you actually taste it and have it in your mouth. And it's got that little beeswax type of thing going also that you get with some of those Southern Rhone varietals, the whites. Uh, some mineral notes, really good depth, like I said before, and, and richness, and um, it ages really well. So, And it's at a great price point. It's like 20 bucks a bottle. So it's a really good experience, something new, something different. You could have this. You could break this out. Of, and The label is like nothing to get excited about, right, Bill? It's it's all about it, the Yeah. It's all about the product. What's it's in the bottle. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about what's inside, as always. Right. But uh, this is this would be a real crowd pleaser uh, for someone that likes Chardonnay, likes a little heavier and, and richer white wine. They would they would really enjoy this. Sounds delicious. That's number one. Number two, this is right up your alley. So I'm gonna have to give you a bottle of this. I've had this for a while. 
Can you see that? I can. Yeah. Darby. I said, did that? I was like, was that gnarly? <laughs> no, it's Darby. <laughs> Darby looks like a postcard on the label. Looks like uh, three leaves, a postcard. It's got the little stamp on there. Like, um, this is um, this is from uh, Washington, and uh, it's it's called the Dark Side. It's a it's a Syrah from Columbia Valley, mm. and the guy that started this is Darby English. Great name, huh? Right. Yeah, that's a cool name. Yeah, Darby English. Uh, he started this winery in his basement in 2002, and he's a Seattle native. Native. Um, he uh, went to school at Oregon State University, and uh, he went on a golf scholarship. So, <laughs> talk about a good name for a golfer. He sounds Darby like a character English. already. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There'll be a movie. <laughs> So his his first release was um, his first release was in 2005, but he started experimenting uh, earlier than that. And today, um, the winery produces about 4,000 cases of uh, Bordeaux blends, Rome varietals, and uh, single vineyard um, um, varietal wines like this one. It's from Columbia Valley, and to give you an idea, um, Columbia Valley. Let's see. Uh, I think some of the um, some of the areas where he picks, he gets the wine from are like um, Stone Tree, Deneen, and uh, Discovery Vineyards. This is this is all bordered on, most of Columbia Valley is uh, Washington State, but yeah. there's a little bit of it that's in Oregon. Oregon, yeah. But the main thing is this wine is, um, it's on the other side of the Cascade Range. So if, you know, oh. people that have been, been to Oregon, you yeah. know that. Everything that's on the west side is nice and green and verdant. And on the right side of the mountain range, it's a freaking desert. It's high desert. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so um, they've got to truck this wine, these grapes, after they pick them, they truck them to a winery in Woodenville, which is not too far from Seattle. Oh, because, yeah. well, that's where the people are. So that's where you're going to make wine application. Yeah. So um, I think uh, it's about from... I don't know, say from Horse Seven Hills to Woodenville, it's probably like a three and a half hour drive. So it's it's a pretty good trek yeah. over the mountain. A lot of ag too in that area. Not just oh, yeah. uh not just God. wine, but it's yeah, uh, it's the soil is so it's, good. Yeah. Apple remember Washington State apples. Yep. There's a bunch yep. of all kinds of stone fruit. It's a really interesting place to drive through. Yeah. Um, have, there's uh, not much there, some... but other than ag, but it's still it's massive. I'm always, when I go to these places, I'm like, wow, this place is so big. There's so much <laughs> stuff. We have some friends that live in Woodenville and they've been inviting us for years to come up and we oh. haven't yet. And, oh. You know, now with COVID, we're not going, but once that's over, we're going to head up there, spend a, a weekend with them. Um, uh, to the wine, to the wine. Uh, on the back, it's noteworthy that it says produced and bottled by. And when I look at a bottle and I see produced and bottled by, I'm immediately excited. Because what that means is this wine was actually made and bottled in the same location. You know, they didn't like make it in one spot and then get a tanker truck and move it to another spot. You know, they had total control of what's going on. So that's always something good to look for on the label. Uh, it spent um, 18 months in 600 liter neutral French oak punchins. And what that means is the oak um, barrels or punchins, they have no flavor that they give to the wine. 
um, because they've been used over and over again. So there's really no uh, new wood that comes out of it. Um, it's mainly just works as a vessel that, that lets the wine breathe. <laughs> I was like, it's just a vessel. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, it's 14.7% alcohol. So watch out. It's going to get you if you drink too much of it. On the note, um, it's uh, the color is medium ruby uh, color. It looks um, it looks like uh, it looks like a Rhone wine. It doesn't look like your typical Syrah, a newer Syrah. It's usually dark and inky purple and black. It's uh, it's a little lighter than that. The nose, um, I get black pepper, licorice, and all that black and blue fruit. And with like a little hint of like grilled meat, or maybe that's because I had the grill on. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, usually you do get a little meatiness out of Syrah, but it's it's all subjective. Uh, It's got really, really beautiful structure. Uh, The the, the thing that I like about this wine, if you had the uh, one phrase would be that it's incredibly balanced on the acid and tannin profile. It's it's just, it's got this beautiful velvety finish also. Um, lots of Syrahs can, um, they can be coarse and aggressive. And, and this is, is just the opposite. And uh, on the site at the winery, it's 28 bucks for the current vintage. Wow. Which, which I see as a fantastic value. I was like, that's, so, yeah. Uh, uh, those are the, those are the two wines I have. Sorvino. Fantastic. I've been drinking obviously way more, but those are the standouts for me, those two those two wines. And what else you got, Bill? Uh you know, I don't have anything per se. I will have next podcast a couple bottles of wine. Um okay. one of which is a twenty eighteen rose of Pinot Noir from Small Vines. Um I just want to spend a little bit more time writing better notes because it's really it's dynamite. I can't. I just, it, I just it, picked up a rose. From, uh, uh, I haven't picked it up yet, but I just ordered some this morning from Bottle Barn, uh, the Quivera 2019. Yeah, I, talked, yeah. I talked to Hugh a couple of weeks ago. He says, yeah, you better get here. It's going quick. Yeah, I and, I might actually go order one of those now, because I that, yeah. so I love that. Um, the small vine, I'll be very interested to compare that um, rosé with small vines rosé. Um, we've been drinking a lot of white wine, so I'll have some white wines and rosés for next week. Um as far as um, what well, we have been drinking, uh, obviously beer. Beer's been on the heavy rotation. So um, Seismic Brewery's been running specials, seven fifty six packs, seven dollar fifty cent six packs if you buy a case. So didn't even know where they were open. Yeah, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they they call them relief packs. So I think the first one we got sunglasses and toilet paper, in addition to our case of beer. Um, <laughs> They they always give you some kitschy thing stickers whatever, but aside from that, I I do like their beer and it's nice that they're they're still in they're, they're still in operation. But their pilsner um, is probably one of my favorite pilsners. It's called Alluvium, and then they make an oat pale ale. So it it's a pale ale, but because it's made with oats, they use oats in the brewing process. It almost tastes like an IPA. So it's just sort mm-hmm. of weird combination it's also not very hot um and so those have been uh beers on heavy rotation my nephew is staying with us um because he you know being i think it'd be horrible to be single in this right now you know it couldn't go in quarantine living in new york single uh and being single living in new york city and being single would be awful 
Um, but he's not a big beer drinker, but he loves this oat pale ale. And it does have an oatmeal kind of finish to it. It's really, it's kind of like toasted oatmeal on the finish. And then all the typical sort of West Coast um, IPA notes, but it's a pale ale. It's just really interesting beer. Um, I'm lost, man. I didn't even know he was in uh, New York. No, no, I'm just saying I, I my, he, in L.A., lives in L.A., oh. And shortly after this went down, I'm like, are you, I've been to his apartment. I'm like, are you, you know, thinking to myself, wow, it would be hell to be in that apartment for weeks on end and not be able to go out. So, you know, we made the offer for him to come up here. So he's been up here uh, since then. But yeah, he did a little bit of tour of duty in the, in the restaurant where he was working and he's just like, wow, this is just, he was smart to saying hey this isn't going anywhere so i it's time for a career transition so he's been he's been dealing with that but i'm just saying all those people that are out there that are single you know living in an apartment in a big city and not being able to go to do stuff i would go crazy personally yeah so i empathize yeah that doesn't sound that doesn't sound good and no matter how introverted you are you still are a social animal you still need to go out i don't have they been doing happy hours in your neighborhood are 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 Neighborhood's been doing social distance happy hour for about four or five weeks. No, about the only thing we've been doing over here is the the daily eight o'clock howling. Yeah, that's about we, it. Yep, we howl here <laughs> in Northern California at eight o'clock. Everybody goes out and howls. Um, and it what's really funny to me now is people forget. So, on any given day, a neighbor will go out at eight. It could be me, <laughs> and then everybody else comes out. It's great. But for our kids. This is going to be a, I think, going to be a great memory. Do you remember when we used to go out? How? And I remember when yeah. it first happened. I was in a, there's a church that has a really nice sort of open common area that we like to take our dog to, to just kind of run around, play fetch. And I heard it for the first time there, and it was actually, it was shortly after the real quarantine lockdown came. It was very life affirming. Funny enough to hear other it's kind of comforting to hear other people out there because you haven't we hadn't seen a lot of people i mean you'd walk the streets there'd be nobody out it was a, about a week after that where people were just like out on the street I, i've never seen something let me say it this way i've never seen so many walkers yeah yeah i mean i can what? sit in, it's like a city i can sit in my my living room and watch people go by all day that never happens so yeah, that's kind of good i've noticed that everywhere too yeah the howling is a good. great way for the community to, to come together. It's a, it's kind of a cool thing, I think. Yeah, so. I I I think I whoever figured that out, I heard it originated in Marin County, but it I like it. I think it's great. Oh, it's definitely had to originate in Marin County. Yeah, man. that's what I heard. That's what I heard. <laughs> There's no doubt. Kick in the pants. It truly is a kick in the pants. Oh. Uh, so uh hey everyone, thanks. Thanks so much for uh listening. Uh Bill, how do they get in contact with us? Yeah, so your your most responsive and fast way is to hit Al up at the Twitters at Vino one oh one net. He's uh he's probably on there more than ever. And yeah. and with a bottle of wine. You can send us email at info at vino one oh one um dot net um or bill at vino101.net or al at vino101.net. We have a Facebook page. You can leave a comment there or a post. Um, and and also, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend, and you can leave a review at Apple um, or any place that you get your podcasts. Beautiful. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.